My name is Mike, and I'll be your sermonator for the evening. Hey, how many folks are still here from the Five Iron Frenzy concert? Okay, welcome. Welcome to you all. We have people here from as far away as New Zealand and Australia, Costa Rica. Where are some other countries? Los Angeles. Yeah. The land of fruits and nuts over there. Um, and then... Uh, uh, Canada, right? Yeah. Probably uh, our frenzy sang that beautiful song last night. So, anybody? Other any other countries? Just curious. Okay, well, that's good enough. You guys get the prize for coming to Scum from farthest away. So, if you didn't know, Scum of the Earth owes much of its history to the Five Iron Frenzy. I was Five Irons pastor starting in about 1995, and uh, I won't tell the story about how I uh, brought Dennis Culp to his very first Five Iron Frenzy show, but I will tell you this. Somewhere in the summer of 95, uh, it became apparent to me that God was doing something with this young band, and that it was my job as a pastor, to prepare the saints for works of service. And so we gathered in my living room, me with a flip chart, them sitting around on the couches, and we crafted very many things, one of which was a mission statement for Five Iron Frenzy. As Leonor told me very often, Mike, we are the only band I know out there with a mission statement. And we divided up jobs, Leonor's job was to actually stay in touch with fans. She loved getting the mail from folks. She would go to the post office box. She would unload it. She would actually handwrite people letters back, talk to them on the Internet, communicate. It's a job that she still does for the band because she's really, really good at it. And she remembers people, and the rest of them, you know, don't. So, um, but uh, Keith's job was to kind of be the roadie manager. So he would make sure that details were all taken care of when they went someplace. Boy, do they miss him right now. Uh, things last night would have been a whole lot better, I think, if someone uh, had Keith's job. Uh, but there was someone to do the merch table. There was someone to do the uh, if submissions for the website. Everybody had a different job, which was great. One of the things that I really appreciated about Fine and Frenzy is that they decided they just didn't want to be another rock band. They didn't want to be uh, rock stars. They didn't want to be treated like rock stars most of the time. So they decided that they were going to instead try to be servants. And so one of the goals was to actually become roadies for other bands that didn't have anybody. So if they were playing a show with a number of bands, they would actually move gear and take it in and out of the vans and help set up, which I thought was amazing. And yet another goal was to create a Bible study where friends and fans who were in the Denver area could come to learn more about the Savior who gave them the reason to sing. And so I remember when... (laughs) It used to be at their, uh, some of the band members lived in a 
apartment, a house on Pennsylvania Avenue. And, you know, when, you know, crazed fans started visiting where they lived, they're going, Mike, we, we can't do this anymore. Where can we have it? And so we, we moved it from there into the Presbyterian Church where I was on staff. And thus began the Five Iron Frenzy Bible Study. It went on for several years. It was the Five Iron Frenzy Bible Study which became the group that birthed Scum of the Earth Church. I don't know if we can ever repay that debt. Because I can assure you that Scum would not have happened without that Bible study. And that Bible study would not have happened without Five Iron Frenzy. I'm just not that cool. And I was okay because they said I was okay to the people that, that came. And so as I think back about the legacy of Five Iron Frenzy, I mean, why are you all here? Did you come to hear some band swaying in the wind like a reed? No. You came because something of the Spirit of God was transmitted through the grooves of your seven-inch vinyl or on the CD that you bought or through the digital impressions in an MP3. It spoke to you something of eternal life. And you were captivated, and so you followed. It was the same way with me. I remember as a young man, hearing those same kinds of words of life, but not through a band. I had plenty of bands, Christian bands, that I, that I liked back in the day when there wasn't even a thing called contemporary Christian music. But there was a guy and his wife. His name was Gary Burke. And Dolores Burke was his wife from Toledo, Ohio. Gary Burke was the founder of Young Life. And if there's one thing at Scum that looks like it doesn't belong, remember that song? One of these things is not like the other. One of these things doesn't belong. Can you guess which thing is not like the other? This mass-produced 1960s picture of Christ. I've got all this original art in the walls, every place. And then hangs Hook's Head of Christ from the late 1960s, which has been mistaken for Dan Craig. <laughs> but you wouldn't mistake it today because Dan has a mustache today and shorter hair. But when he had longer hair and a beard, like when he got married, this is who Jessica married right here. <laughs> Let me tell you about that picture. So I'm visiting Gary, my mentor, the guy who taught me how to be a young life leader, taught me how to hang out with, with high school kids, how to become part of their world, how to leave my safe college existence and, and, and move into the lives of high school kids, whether they're hanging out at a football game or whether they're hanging out at McDonald's or wherever they were, in order to bring them the good news of Jesus Christ. 
I'm in Gary's garage a few years ago, and Dolores, his beloved wife, had just passed away, which was a tragedy for all of us. Because I remember sitting and talking to them for hours on their porch as the sun went down in the Ohio sky until we were just silhouettes talking in the round about my marriage with my wife, Mary Pat, with about ministry and, and, and how that's supposed to go. Because even after we started here, you know, there was all these questions. I don't know how to do this. How did you guys do this? And how did you get through this kind of a challenge? That Gary and Dolores were wonderful about helping me out with. Matter of fact, one time Dolores took my hand and she patted it and she said, Mike, I want you to know that Gary and I believe that you are carrying on our legacy of loving young people for Jesus Christ. And we are so excited and joyful and happy about what you and Mary are doing at Scum of the Earth Church. And so, a few years ago, I am at Gary's just after Dolores had died. And we're in his garage. And he's pointed this picture, this mass-produced picture, Hook's Head of Christ, on the floor leaning up against the garage wall. And he goes, Mike, I want you to have this. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I don't know. Like, if you, if you read, you know, if, if, if you read what the young people came up with when we first started Scum, like, one of the things was, like, no pictures of Jesus in the sanctuary. Like, you know. But he says, um, let me tell you the story behind this print. Dolores and I were training for Young Life staff. I mean, they were already married. They were a little bit older than the average Young Life staff people. They had left Toledo, Ohio, went to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, inner-city Pittsburgh, to train with inner-city kids to be Young Life directors in Toledo, Ohio. They were there for a whole year. And it wasn't easy. They had to leave their house. All that kind of, they might have had a little kid. I, they went there. They trained. And when they got done, those kids loved Dolores and Gary so much that they went out to some religious bookstore and bought that picture and gave it to them in 1968 in downtown Pittsburgh. And it was always around the Young Life office or in Gary's house. And here it was sitting in the garage. And he says, Mike, I want you to have it. Take it back to Scum. What am I supposed to say? I love this picture now. I am honored. This picture brings me great joy. Brings tears to my eyes because it's got a history, you know? It's like that guitar that you see in the window that's been through a thousand different gigs. And when you have no gigs of your own, that's a cool guitar. You know, by the time you're my age, you want a brand new guitar. So I bring it back here, put it on the wall. Nobody understands why it's there. Now you know. I got some ideas. We're going to do some things to make it totally ours. It's got a lot to do with the girl who painted all the pictures out here in the art gallery. That's going to be cool. But Scum of the Earth brings Gary Burke. Oh, by the way, let's, let's show a picture of Gary Burke. 
if we can. There he is. There's Gary and Dolores. That's Gary actually wearing a scum of the earth t-shirt. But uh, that's about five years ago. But the scum of the earth brings those people tremendous joy. Look, they're laughing. Somewhere up in heaven, Dolores is like doubling over with laughter right now (laughs) as I try and dig myself out of this hole. (laughs) So, where am I going next? (laughs) I'll say this much. There's a quote by Isaac Newton. If I have seen farther than others, it is because I was standing on the shoulders of giants. There's a picture up there. Believe it or not, that's me in the green sweater, 20 years ago, almost exactly, with my five-year-old son on my shoulders at a Memorial Day parade in Toledo, in Maumee, Ohio, in 1992. That's Mary holding Ethan, who looks nothing like that white hoodie at the moment. <laughs> yeah, now I owe him money now. I owe him money now. Use him in a sermon. Um, anyway, I mean, seriously, if scum of the earth is good at anything, it's because I got to stand on that guy's shoulders for a number of years and learn what it meant to love young people. Tell them about Jesus. It just so happens that the Apostle Paul talked about the very same thing in the next passage of Philippians. So if you've got a Bible, open it up to Philippians chapter 2. Otherwise, it should be on the wall. These are all out of order. But it goes like this. Then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky. So obviously we're picking up from Jesse's sermon last week. If you didn't hear it, you can go to the Scum of the Earth podcast, scumoftheearth.net or on iTunes, Scum Church. And you can listen to Jesse's sermon from last week in which he talked about the way that, that, that we ought to live with one another. And when we do live that way, what the Apostle Paul is saying, then we shine among the world people in the world like stars in the sky, as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Now this is the Apostle Paul. You're telling me that he's worried that maybe his work wasn't effective? That there's a possibility that he could have done this whole planting of churches thing and not done it well? Let me read you from Okay. Let me read you from one of his writings to the Corinthians. 
Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Here's the Apostle Paul. He's talking about his life, his ministry as a race that he's running, and he's saying, if and after I've done all this stuff, I do not want to be disqualified at the end. There's a possibility that I could have started well, Corinthians, but if I don't finish well, it's not worth it. And here in Philippians, what he's saying is, you know, it's not just about me. Because I need to be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain as you hold firmly to the word of life. You see, Paul wouldn't have won if the people that he loved, the folks that he ministered to, the folks to whom he brought the word of the Lord, with whom he shared Jesus, if they faltered. And then he says in verse 17, But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering and the sacrifice coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should rejoice, rejoice and be glad with me. It's not just about the difficulty. It's not just about the race that he's in. It's not just about the climb up the mountain. It's not just about man versus himself, man versus machine, man versus the world, mankind versus me. The struggles go on, the wisdom I lack. The burdens keep piling up on my back. It's so hard to breathe, to take the next breath. The mountain is high, I wait in the depths, yearning for grace. And hoping for peace, dear God, increase. It's not just about the struggle of the Christian life. Not only to make yourself finish well when you've had a good beginning, but also to bring those around you whom God has given you to pour your life into to the finish line as well. Those are the words, obviously, from Every New Day, Bob Iron's most famous song. And, and here's the amazing thing. When Reese sings those words, everybody sings along. It's like we all identify with the struggle. It's like we're in this thing together. And when... I can tell you, at the last concert in 2003, when the crowd is chanting those words, it reduced Reese to tears. Because part of it is, he didn't want to believe that he had labored in vain. That the ministry would go on. Fiverr and Frenzy wasn't just about being rock stars. It was about spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. 
And the Apostle Paul uses imagery here from the Old Testament. He says, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad I rejoice with all of you. Let me explain this because this is kind of foreign to us. In the Old Testament, they would do animal sacrifices, right? Now he refers to it again in Romans 12 where he talks about a living sacrifice where we offer our bodies. So, so imagine uh, you're an Old Testament priest and you, you put the, the, the slain animal on the altar and you light the fire, okay? And it, it, it's, it becomes up, a, you know, it's a sacrifice for your sins, for the nation, for whatever. Then very often the, the priest would take some of the choicest wine and pour it out on the ground next to the altar. you might get a chance to eat some of the burnt offering. But the drink offering is never coming back to you. The Apostle Paul is likening his life to a drink offering that's kind of accompanying the sacrifice of the Philippians' faith. A life poured out. A life given. When I think about what Gary and Dolores and people like them gave To me, it's a life poured out. What do they get back from it? I'm finally talking about them 35 years later. How long does it take for the Apostle Paul to hear back from the Philippians? We're going to find out later. But sometimes when you give your life for people you never know for a long time whether it's going to actually make a difference. And when you find out that it's made a difference, you rejoice. It's awesome. It's why you're in this game. I can tell you when someone turns their life around to scum of the earth, one person turning can keep me going for five years. One person. It doesn't matter how many late nights I've spent talking to that person, how many emergency runs, how much money you've given for whatever, rent or utilities or food or gas or whatever. It doesn't matter. What you're concerned about is down the road, will they finally get it? If you're a parent, you understand this. If you're a young parent, you're beginning to understand it. Because you would lay your life down for that little booger. You would. And your hope is that sometime in their adult years, they finally get it. And they begin living life in a way that is pleasing to God. That's what you hope. And when they don't, you're miserable. Remember one... The choir director at uh, Corona Presbyterian used to tell me, Mike, I'm only as happy as my unhappiest child. thought it was stupid. Until my kids grew up. Now I understand. In the same way, when my kids are doing great, I rejoice. Thank God. That's what's going on with Paul right here. All right. And he says, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul is in prison. 
He's chained to a Roman guard. His life sucks. But he's saying, when you guys are doing great, I am so happy chained to this Roman guard. You should be happy with me because I'm so happy you're in prison. This is awesome. We're in this together. We're walking together through life, even though we're separated by chains and walls and distance. Doesn't matter. Maybe you have people like that in your life. People who paid the price for you. You know, none of us paid the price to be justified before God. Jesus paid that price. None of us paid that price. He sacrificed himself so we could be one with the Lord, right? Here's another clue. No one here paid the price to be sanctified, to be made like Jesus, like other people paid the price to help you get like Jesus. Somebody pays a price for you. Gary Burke and Dolores Burke paid a price for me. Sleepless nights, worry, concern. It takes me 30 years to finally figure that out. But you know, sometimes God sends help because one person's not enough. Let's go on. Paul says in verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. I hope in the Lord Jesus. I mean, he's saying, I I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm hoping in God's eternal plan that I can send Timothy, the young man who's with me, to you sometime soon. The guy who's been with me the whole time, who takes care of me as best he can. The young man who I'm administering with for a long time. I want to send him to you because I'm chained to this Roman guard. That I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. So Paul's going, look, thank you so much for your care for me. We'll find out more about that next week. But, you know, I want to hear how you're doing. You ever been with somebody who always wants to talk just about how they're doing and never ask you questions about how you're doing? How terrible is that, right? Okay, guys, here's a tip. If you're on a first date or a second date, ask her questions. Wait for the answers because she may be quiet for a while. But if all you do is tell her about yourself, it's over before it starts. Because she knows you don't really care about anybody except yourself. You see, godly people want a response. They want to know how you're doing. They're not just concerned about them and you getting to know who they are. They're concerned about you and how you are. And so the Apostle Paul was doing that here. He's saying, I want to hear about how you're doing. Because when I hear how awesome you're doing, it makes my life so much better, even though I'm chained in this prison. That's what godly people are like. They're, they're excited when you're doing well. 
And that's what godly people are like. They very, very seldom tell, tell you how they're doing unless you drag it out of them. I can't tell you how many lunches I went to with Gary or meetings we had where it was all about me and my problems. I never for a moment thought about Gary's problems. I mean, he was older. He had a wife. He had a family. You know, and I didn't care, <laughs> frankly, about his problems. What a guy. Amazing. Paul goes on, verse 20, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Not served me or served for me, but served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. i got to tell you that um, one of the reasons I was so happy to have Reese Roper as uh, the founding co-pastor of Scum of the Earth Church is because literally at that time I had no one like him. Case in point. He was a guy, young, handsome, popular, wise, And he was a virgin. It's kind of like, you know, scum zone Tim Tebow. What can I say? I mean, he, I mean, girls threw themselves at him. Christian girls threw themselves at him. But I knew he wasn't going there. I knew he wasn't disqualified. I had no one else like him. And he loved God with the passion that only comes out in his songs, lyrics, as you could tell. And I was the stick in the mud. I was the stake in the ground. And he was the kite string and the kite. Waving up in the breeze. And I, I, I mean, I knew who people were attracted to. It wasn't Mike Sayers. But I didn't mind being the stake in the ground, keeping that kite from flying off to who knows where. That was my job. And he was teachable. I mean, he taught me a lot of things. Read Pure Scum, you'll have one of my favorite episodes of when Reese taught me something. But I'll tell you a story about when I taught him something and how he was okay with it. Uh, I was trying to teach him how to do sermons, and... Um, we had dinner, and it was time for the sermon. And all I know is the music's playing. All of a sudden, Reese, eating a sandwich, goes up on stage and is doing one of his dorky Reese dances, like he did at the concert last night, you know? And he would take a bite of the sandwich, set it on the music stand, dance around, flailing arms, flailing legs, come back to the, podium, the, the music stand, grab the sandwich, take a bite, put it down, dance some more. People are dying of laughter because he's so awkward. And uh, then he went up and started a sermon. And, you know, we're debriefing later on that week. I said, Reese, what was that? And he goes, Mike, 
That was my hook. Then we had talked about hooks, how you grab the audience's attention, right? And you introduce the topic, and you try and raise the tension so they really want to hear what the scriptures have to say about that. Like, he forgot the last few things about the hook, but he got the first thing. I go, well, you definitely got their attention. It was great. And so, you know, so we would go on, and he would learn more, and it was great. I had no one like him. Until now. I got lots of people like him. So, if you're on staff, would you please stand up? Okay, I got Jeff over here. Jeff takes care of morning church. Got Christy. She takes care of me. (laughs) Keeps me on the straight and narrow. And, oh, and yeah, and Sam and Emmett, right. And meanwhile, winning cooking contests. And uh, here's just a girl over here who somehow manages four children and is rocking on the Bible study this coming Monday at 7 o'clock, right? What? A week from Monday. That's what I meant. A week from Monday at 7 o'clock. She is amazing. Bible teacher. She is. I'm just telling you right now. You'll learn a lot if you come. Fran Blomberg right here. I mean, not many people can hold their own with the August Distinguished Professor of New Testament Studies at uh, Denver Seminary, but she takes no guff from that man and uh, from me either. (laughs) And honestly, I mean, uh, this whole night runs the way it does largely because of what Fran uh, does. And then she mentors people, and, you know, she's got a heart as big as this room. I mean, really, I mean, it's easy to make her cry. Just, I mean, but, but if you do well, she's ecstatic. Just like the Apostle Paul. It's amazing. Who am I missing? Where, where's anybody? Jesse Boy, where is he? Okay. Oh, there you are. Got the guy in the skull sweatshirt playing bass. Jesse Boy, who also really helps me out. And um, make sure scum stays true to its moorings. And uh, where's Evan? Back at the scoop, that guy right there, uh, Evan Perkins, uh, awesome, awesome teacher. Uh, if you were there at the theology class this afternoon, you know how intelligent he is. I like to keep him around. He makes me look better. And um, just so handsome. I don't know how to put it. <laughs> and, of course, the inimitable, lovely Leonor Inez Ortega Till, saxophonist for Five Iron Frenzy. Brand new sex, by the way. Did you guys notice that? Yeah. And um, maybe one of the most natural born preachers I've ever met in my entire life. She's good. And she loves people. We were talking about it. We were walking down the alley in the way here about how she rejoices when the people that she's mentoring or discipling or in Bible study with are doing well. I mean, she really gets jazzed on that. And she's running on on fumes right now, so pray for her. Am I missing anybody? Where's Dave? There he is behind the, yeah, Dave's always hiding behind the soundboard. But he's also leading worship tonight. Dave Weatherby. Dave Weatherby, I mean, basically does two jobs. He uh, has a full-time job pretty much out in the real world and comes here at Scum and works way too many hours. And, um, you know, this is the great thing about Dave. Like, we're in a staff meeting, and Dave will say something totally from the mind of God. Like, he'll just blow us away. We're going, Dave, you never say anything. And then when you open your mouth, all of a sudden, it's like, boom, 
God has relayed a message through Dave Weatherby. Like, how come, how come we didn't think of that? I mean, if Dave says, I think we should pray about this person. And this has happened a few times. We pray for that person, and we find out days later that person was struggling at that very moment with the very thing we're praying about. It's incredible. These people are like my Timothy's. Yes. Oh, yeah. Carrie Stark. Wave. Carrie Stark is, well, I, I don't know. She came from Scum Denver and then helped start Scum Seattle. And um, she... She cares for the left out. She really does. I'm really proud of her. She also works for security for Starbucks. So if you're in a Starbucks, wave at the camera. Just after you punch somebody. You punch somebody, wave at the camera. Carrie will eventually see you waving hi to her. <laughs> if you just wave, she won't know, right? <laughs> you got to do something terrible, and then they'll, they'll review the tapes. And Ben Mercer outside, um, Ben Ben is actually, like, he's Ben, quote-unquote, the bridge Mercer. He is more well-known around town than anybody else on staff. He knows what's going on. He's got his finger on the heartbeat of the city. He knows what's going on. He's got an awesome heart for missions. He's gone to Scotland several times. As a result of him going to Scotland several times, from what I hear, we may be having a scum Scotland sometime in the future. So, I mean, Ben is a man of God. I can't tell I mean, I, I remember when he had moved back to Kansas. I, I had to plead with him to move back. Because, Ben, we need you. Now, look, these people are amazing. I can commend them to you the same way that Paul commended Timothy. Because, frankly, I can't talk to everybody. I just can't. And, you, I mean, and I'm not good for everything. Okay? Honestly, I, I, I suck at some things. And, and I'll, you know, drive you crazy. If you give me half a chance. Um, but these people have different gifts than me, and, and they can actually help you more than I can help you. If they give you their time, it's a gift. I have nobody else like them. And then there's the council. Where's the council? Stand up if you're on council. Todd. Scarlet. Jenna. Orange Bill. Who's downstairs in the ministry? Aaron. All right, look, these people are amazing because, listen, you know, working for me isn't always the coolest thing in the world. I mean, I've been fired from enough jobs. I understand how I drive people crazy. So I had to become a senior pastor so that the people I drive crazy actually work for me. That way I don't get fired as quickly. But when the staff's got a problem with me, they can go to any one of those council people and then we got to talk about it, our place of appeal. And they're awesome in their own rights. A lot of them have been on ministry staffs or are currently on ministry staffs to boot or been around Jesus for so long, like longer than you've been alive. So I recommend them as well. Take advantage of the people, the Timothys, that God has provided for you. All right. We're running low on time here. So let me, uh, let me cut to the chase. Let's pass out those thank you cards. I want you to think really hard about the people who have poured into your life. Bring the whole box out. 
I went to the dollar store. Some of these are very cheesy. All right. But I don't want you to wait 30 years to thank the Gary Burks, the Pauls, or the Timothys in your life. Now's a great time to do it. I'm going to give you a few minutes here. We're going to pass these out. Um, these are envelopes uh, with a thank you card in them. I want you to write inside of the person who's in your mind right now. If you need two cards, I think we have enough. Some people can get two cards. Um, write a note to the people who have poured into you like a drink offering, poured their lives out for you. Say thank you. Tell them what you're doing now. Tell them you're still following Jesus. Tell them something you learned just last week or even tonight about Jesus. Tell them something that's going to cause them to rejoice even more than they do right now. And then put their name on the envelope. And then, of course, if you don't have the address, then just put it in your pocket, go home and address it. Maybe you have the address in your phone. Turn on your phone, get the address, write it on the envelope. But mail it in the next day or two. Mail it. Say thank you. If you need an extra, just raise your hand. We have more. I'll give you a few minutes now to write those out. While you're writing those out, let me tell you a story about those who have gone before. I'm... uh, I'm wearing a Five Iron Frenzy t-shirt today. It's the Solidarity t-shirt. I think it's off all the hype money can buy. Is that right? Let me tell you a story about Solidarity, the song. When they first wrote it, their idea was to have several Christian musicians who had gone before Help out with the vocals. So they asked Randy Stonehill, one of the earliest founders of the whole Christian music scene, Charlie Peacock, Steve Taylor, and others. And the idea was to have all these guys sing on the record with Reese and the band. Expressing not just the solidarity of people from around the world, but the solidarity of different generations, all following the same God. To the brothers and the sisters, to all the resistors, to the workers broken, crying, on the road that leads to Zion, the mountain, the mountain we shall all climb, all of God's children in God's time. Unity is a verb. Solidarity. You the truth that you have heard, solidarity. Rise up to the call, solidarity. United, we can never fall. Let one voice ring throughout the world. Let the truth be sown. Let us lay our lives down. A greater love was never known. While the light is growing dim, make war to keep your faith in him, knowing what has made us free, unity, not uniformity. One world, one voice. In trenches we stand tall. One truth has found us. One shepherd for us all. Now, things didn't go as planned, and only Randy Stonehill recorded his verse and sent it in. 
And when Masaki mixed it all up and sent it back to Five Minute Walk, Five Minute Walk, the record label, wasn't all that pleased. And they wanted to cut Stonehill's lyrics and just go with Reese's vocals throughout. Dennis Culp, the trombonist, happened to be in the five-minute walk offices when they were discussing this. And Dennis turns to him and says in no uncertain terms, you will do no such thing. Do you understand who Randy Stonehill is? He was doing Christian music before there was a contemporary Christian music. He went from churches to street corners to colleges to schools to bars. Just playing for whatever they could give him. If it wasn't for guys like Randy Stonehill, you wouldn't have a job. Here's a picture of Randy from the very early 1970s. You know anything about Randy? He's kind of a goofball. You know, shut dido, keep out the devil, and songs like that. He makes weird voices when he's on stage, talks in strange accents, kicks his legs up. Does that remind you of anybody? Fiverr and Frenzy knew upon whose shoulders they stood. And they wanted to honor those guys as best they could in this song, Solidarity. And what I'm asking you to do right now in these letters is to honor the people upon whose shoulders you are standing, people who poured their lives out for you. Here's a picture of Randy now. It's not so much the years, it's the miles. He's still going out. Him and his six-string. Trying to make it. Singing for Jesus. Crowds are gone. He keeps doing it. Why? Because he knows the one he serves. Now back to the Philippian letter. You know, it's really good for us to stop and take a look at who has poured into our lives. But here's another question. If you were going to write a letter like this, who would you write it to? If you were going to encourage somebody to whom you felt responsible, for whom you felt responsible, for whom you had poured out your life. Who has God given you? Whom has God given you to take care of, to pray for, to rejoice when they're doing well? It's not just about you. It's not just about people pouring into you. Whom are you going to pour into? There's got to be somebody or God is not God. Because Jesus poured into Paul and Paul poured into Timothy and Timothy was going to pour into the Philippians. And God has poured into you through 
What great saints. Whom is God asking you to pour into? It's got to be somebody. I don't care if you're a Christian for a year. There's got to be somebody who's only been a Christian for a week. It's not just about you. I want you to get that face in your mind. Someone for whom you are a life poured out on the sacrifice of their faith. We're going to pray for that person right now. All right? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we think about being lives that are poured out for others. We lift up the person whose face is in our mind right now, whose name is in our hearts right now. And we ask you to bless that person or those people with every spiritual gift that they need to make it tonight, to make it tomorrow. Lord, we give ourselves to the task you have put before us to sow into someone else's life, to pour out our lives. Lord, we allow you to put them on our shoulders. It is our greatest hope that they could see farther than we can, that they will get closer to you than we are, that they will be more wise in the faith than we are, that they will make better choices in their life about everything than we have. We give you those people, Lord. We will rejoice when we hear they're doing well. So, Lord, have mercy on us as well as them and bring them into the fullness of your life. And keep us available. Let us understand the joy of a life poured out. And it's in Jesus' name, amen.